For close to 20 years, David Diamond has been a successful career coach for theater artists in New York City and beyond. In today's episode, I ask David how he came to have such a clearly defined coaching niche, because it is widely acknowledged that having a clear niche is hugely beneficial in growing your business. Learn about that and more on today's episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level, while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. Welcome, David, to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. So nice to see you. Great to be here. Thanks for being here. And tell us a little bit about what you do. You do coaching, Mm -hmm. and you do coaching specifically for actors. And I think, is it safe to say specifically for actors in New York City, or have you expanded beyond well, it's um, not just actors, it's uh, any okay. artists, artists okay. uh, any artists, mostly theater artists. So I've got directors, uh, playwrights, actors, dramaturgs, designers, uh, producers, you know, anybody that's usually in the entertainment field that's Great. people that find me and uh, all over the world. Okay, cool. Now, I'm fascinated by this because, you know, in the field of coaching, um, many times people are told, given the advice that they should, you know, create a niche for themselves, mm-hmm. you know, did, was that a choice for you as a coach to create a niche as an actors, artists, coach, or were you, did it develop in some other way? I figured at the time that I started that if I'm going to spend a lot of my time listening to people talk and talking to people that I wanted to talk to people that I uh, found, uh, you know, more interesting and more in line with the things that I experienced with so because you yourself are an actor I wasn't an actor but I was a director and I um you know was involved in theater since I was a kid Mm -hmm. so something that I felt connected to and I thought well that's that's who I want to talk to so that's what I do very cool so how does it work what do you do specifically um as with a lot of coaches I imagine you um listen to what shows up and respond to whatever that is. I think the artists may have some particular unique, um, but not totally unique, I guess certain issues that come up a lot. So it's about helping, you know, each person um, to, you know, change their perspective so they can be the artist that they want to be. Cool. And is it, is it about their, let's say performance ability or their ability within the field of the type of artist that they are, or is it also, does it segue out or, or evolve out or leak out to uh, them as a human being as well? Yeah, it's really more of the human being part. I don't teach people how to act or direct or, or write. Mm-hmm. I help them figure out how to have a life as an artist in the real world. So how do you maintain your artistic work and your creativity and your inspiration um, as you go through your life and deal with all different kinds of problems or issues, including things like, let's say, COVID and other (laughs) things that get in the way and can get in the way. But a lot of things can get in the way of your being your fullest artistic self. Yeah, well, certainly right now, theater in New York has come to a screeching halt pretty much, has it not? Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, virtually non-existent. I, oh, I should say only existent virtually. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> you know, live performance, as you know, is very rare. Yeah. So how has that affected your business as a coach? Well, in two ways. One is that more people seem to, you know, want coaching and need coaching, hmm. uh, but nobody has any money. <laughs> <laughs> so it's... Uh, um, I have, you know, lowered rates and um, done a lot of things uh, for free and um, just to make sure I could be there for people, you know, who need the help. 
and um, you know, doing workshops, you know, you could charge a little bit, and if you get enough people, then you know, you could generate some income. Okay. Um, but it's yeah, it's not like it was for sure. Well, that's very interesting. So, um, this this podcast is going to be listened to by whoever wants to listen, of course. But I'm thinking my my avatar for my general listener is somebody who is, you know, a coach or learning to be a coach. And looking also to, you know, develop their skill sets as a coach, but also to find out how they can, you know, create a living, make money mm-hmm. in this profession. So tell me about the workshops that you do. Is that, this is, so you sort of do both workshops and coaching? Is it kind of group coaching when you do workshops? How does that work? Yeah, it really is. It's a kind of, um, I guess, a hybrid of consultancy and coaching. So. Okay. Um, most of the workshops that I have been doing for the last few years have been at universities. So I would work with students and people who are studying about theater, like men, mostly it turns out directing students. It seems that I've been connected with over a dozen different universities and the MFA directing programs and playwriting programs. And uh, I've been able to develop a program where I help the, help them figure out or think about what they want in their lives as artists and then talk about the tools that they need and they may want to help them get there. So it really is two different things. I start, it always starts with sort of a conversation about who they are and what they want. And the second part is, okay, these are some tools you may need or want and how could we make the tools the best that they can be without taking up time away from being an artist, you know, so it's a, it's a balancing act. So uh, people love the workshop I do on resumes, for example. I mean, especially for directors because directors resumes are, there's no rules about directors resumes, you know, actors is pretty straightforward, but for directors, you really have a lot of, of options and how you want to do it. So we pretend that, uh, well, the way I think about a resume is that it's a, It's a story you want to tell about yourself to somebody else. And since theater people are storytellers, it puts it in a context that they really can understand. And so we talk about what story are you telling with this tool, a resume or a website or cover letter or conversation even. We do some mock interviews, you know, artistic director interviewing a director. And, uh, you know, what could you learn about how to present yourself in the most effective way? So that's the tools part, but I would love that. Can we talk more about that? Cause I, I think that's really exciting. I think that's really also something that we can all learn from because uh, boy, I, I, I've written a book on storytelling. I, I, I literally have done that, but um, it's such a rich area because I, I believe that our, our, our psyche, our, our brains are wired for stories and that, you know, we, we resonate, we, they make us, message stick and get across in a way that just you know a resume first i did this then i did that and then i did this third thing you know just would never ever work in the same way so how do you do that how do you how do you tell a story like in a resume or in a way that you know highlights what you want to get across for the individual the way for a resume is an example because there are many tools but in that particular tool um like you said, a lot of people write them in a way like this is what I did and this is what I did. And it sort of goes in usually a reverse chronological order of the things that they did most recently to least recently. Mm-hmm. So we talk about if you're applying for a particular type of position, instead of listing things in that chronological order, to list them to in the order of what's most relevant to this particular position. So most relevant to least relevant, I find is a better way to think about. So you're telling the story of, let's say you're going for a job to direct a a classic play like uh, Romeo and Juliet at some theater, then you might want to begin the list of your credits with every Shakespeare you've done, even if you've done them years apart. Because the first thing the person's going to see when they look at it is Shakespeare, Shakespeare, Shakespeare. And then it gives the story is that I have experience doing the thing you're looking for. Okay, cool. So not necessarily a literal story, like once upon a time I was born, uh, you know, not a story about my life, but it's sort of a, 
implicit story by highlighting the things that are pertinent to the situation. Exactly. So you, since you have a lot of choices about what you want to include, what you don't want to include, and how you want to present it, both visually, um, aesthetically, uh, and uh, content-wise, there are a lot of ways to tell to tell that story. What you're talking about is more like we also work on something called artist statements because a lot of, uh, especially applying fellowships and grants and things, uh, everybody wants your artist statement, you know, who you are as an artist. And when we talk about that and we develop that kind of storytelling, it's, it's different. Obviously, you're not doing lists. You're actually using, um, you know, full sentences and writing it in paragraphs. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about that. Is that, do you think, do you think that's as important or more important or less important than the chronological listing of credits? I think it's just a different, um, there are different ones that are appreciated more in different arenas. So Mm -hmm. if you're um, going after a particular type of job or residency or um, some kind of fellowship, then they might request certain things. Oh, I want to see your resume. I want to see your artist statement. I want to check your website. All of those things become the tools. Hmm. And you tell the story in different ways. And so, so what's the most effective way to tell a, a personal story like that? I mean, what, what does a, what's going to get across the footlights, if you will, when it comes to storytelling, when it comes to, I want to hire this person. Well, in, uh, Hiring and is one part, and then, um, then like getting a kind of a, a fellowship or a grant or something is a slightly different approach. Okay. But the way I look at it is, you write a cover letter, and the cover letter, it, its only function is to get somebody to read the resume, and the resume's function is to get somebody to talk to you, so you can have a meeting. Because directors, in particular, are never hired through their resume; they're mm-hmm. always hired through personal relationships. So it may be that you can have a conversation with somebody and that may lead to an opportunity, but the cover letter and the resume on their own don't do that. If you're writing a, uh, for a fellowship or for a grant or residency, then it can be a lot more about an artist statement type of a mechanism because you often don't meet those people. There's like some panel of people making a choice and they may not do kind of interviews. They might just take everything off the page and see what resonates. Hmm. So sometimes they have an interview. I've been on many panels, so I know uh, a little bit about how people work who are on these panels, who are making these decisions. And um, I think it's really valuable to be on them if you're going to be applying for something because you get the other side, you know, how do, how are they thinking, you know? So a couple of things that come up frequently are making your story of, you know, that you're trying to tell as personal as possible in the context of, you know, what you're, who you're writing to and what you're writing about. Right. I think that go into all the melodrama that might've happened in your life. Right. You really want to be uh, set apart from other people based on your personal experience that gave you the impetus to be this artist that you are. And when people can see that, I think it, it's, it's much more powerful. Yeah, no, that's true. People, I think, make the mistake in storytelling is to, to sort of say, okay, well, I'm going to tell the story of my life. Well, I was born and then I was one and then I was two. And they started like, everything must be mentioned chronologically. Even if it's like, I've told the story of how I went to the store today, you know, people would say, well, I drove up the driveway and I turned right and I turned left. You know, it's like, we don't need to know all those details. <laughs> we just need to know, like, what's the point? What's the one thing, like our friend Seth would say, what's the point to this story? What's, what's the, <laughs> right? It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah Seth would say, be as um, unpretentious about it as possible. <laughs> and I think that's true in in writing as well when you write about yourself Uh a lot of times um there are a lot of you know the boxes you think you have to check off to yeah that people will be impressed by you know i worked with this company and i won this award and i i you know these are the things that attest to the fact that i'm fantastic you know (laughs) or that i'm worthy um 
but it's sometimes the more personal things that helped you become the artist that you are that are more insightful. Can you give us an example of that by any chance? Uh, yeah, there was, um, one artist that I worked with who, um, grew up in a family of people who were deaf. Several people in her family were deaf and, the, it's not like to say, oh, my God, you should feel something for me because my family was deaf. But it's what did that experience of growing up in that kind of a family, um, how does that relate to the kind of work you want to do as an artist? What you what made you want to become an artist in the first place? And especially a theater artist or a director. In this case, um, she was a director and she was able to talk about the way the the way somebody who can't hear experiences live performance and how can she as an artist be mindful of the different abilities or you know disabilities of people who are in the audience so it really made her much more aware of how you can create a stage picture and action on stage that tell the story that's not dependent upon hearing oh that's brilliant that's great. That's really, uh, that's fantastic. Thank you very much. That's very much. That's, um, wow. I, I can just see so many applications for that for our, our for me personally, but also for our, our listeners. Um, because to be able to communicate that in a sense, unique, people talk about the unique selling proposition for a, a product or a service, but you know, how, what sets you apart? What's, what's different? What's unique about you? And if you can nail that in a story form, like like you've just described, it's an amazing thing. Part of this point to this po- podcast is to help people find, you know, those essential coaching skills that not only can help them be a better coach or a great coach, you know, what are the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, if you will, but also how do we make a living as a coach? You know, yeah. we have to... We have to make a living. And it's a lot of times people have taken my courses in hypnosis or NLP or whatever and just figured, now that I've got this certification, life's an oyster, my oyster, you know, just doors will open to me automatically. And that's just unfortunately not the case. You get your coaching certification. That's just the beginning. Yeah. Right. You've got to then, in a sense, create a, you know, unique selling proposition for yourself. Why should I hire David, so how have you done that for yourself? How have you become like the guy to go to for actors and artists in New York? Because you've done very, very well as far as I have ever noticed and seen. You've been busy and working at this for a long time. Certainly, you've been successful as a coach for a very long time. It, I think for me, it comes down to um, having as many conversations with people as you can. Mm-hmm. And seeking out conversations with people so that um, they have an experience of you as a as a person and also as a coach, because I think people don't hire coaches, um, you know, quickly. <laughs> That's been my experience. They mm-hmm. either have had recommendations. Somebody said, "Oh, this person was amazing. You have to go see this person." That happens a lot, but it's also about you know, what is the experience they have of you coaching them? So let's say you do a complimentary session with somebody and you are full out, you know, the most amazing coach you can be. Um, Then that experience of you is the thing that's going to sell you. If you want to think of it that way, I don't think about it as selling so much, but I, I guess that's, you know, maybe that's a problem for me. I should think about it. I think I'm more about um, service. Like, what can I, how can I be of service? Yeah, that, no, that's that's great. You know, it is sales, ultimately. You, one must sell one's service or whatever. And if you think of it as sales, then it's not a probably optimal way of thinking about it. Um, or if you think about it as service, and if it comes from the place of service, I think that goes a long way. So when you do a complimentary session, what does that look like? Is it half an hour? Is it an hour? Is it two hours? Is it, you know, how? No, it usually um, is between 45 minutes and an hour. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, 
again, it's not a prescribed idea like that I have of what that's going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really believe in listening. You talk about essential skills of a coach. Maybe everybody you've talked to says the same thing, but being present and listening deeply are mm-hmm. probably the two most important essential qualities of a coach. When somebody feels heard, that's huge. I mean, people respond to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I will work with them in any, you know, address whatever thing they bring to the table and, um, but not have an idea of what it's going to be before it happens. Interesting. So that's really, that's, that shows either a lot of expertise on your part or a lot of experience on your part, maybe a little bit of both, but to be able to be present and just be comfortable not knowing what you're going to do and just being able to listen and, and trust that you'll be able to come up with, you know, something in that deep listening, in that presence that will be useful to that person is, uh, I think it takes a little bit of faith. <laughs> Maybe it, um, I think I approach every coaching session that way. It, yeah. It's about, um, and I think of it as, and maybe this is from experience, but your grounding, how, what, what you already know and have, like you study a lot, you learn a lot, you read, you talk to people, but when you're in the moment, in the room, yeah. um, you have to allow it to come through you without, you know, having a preconceived idea. It's kind of like what Seth talks about in acting. Uh-huh. You, you want to be really well-prepared but when you step in the room, you want to be completely spontaneous. Yeah. You want yeah. to respond to what's, what else is going on. Yes, yeah. Just for those of us uh, who are who are listening and may not know our references here. Um, <laughs> who is Seth? <laughs> Seth Barish is he's quoted in my book, although it hasn't been published yet, the, the, the storytelling book. Um, Seth Barish is the director or one of the two artistic directors of the Barrow Group in New York City with his wife, Lee Brock. And you're on the board still or have you ever been? Oh, yeah. Forever. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not the chair of the board anymore, but I'm st- still on it. Yeah. Okay, cool. I have the Barrow Group in New York City. And Seth is a marvelous director. He's also um, had some Broadway credits recently, right? With uh, Mike Raviglia. Mike Raviglia, uh, yeah. He's also a wonderful teacher. I think he's one yeah. of the premier teachers of acting in the yeah. city of New York. Yeah. And uh, followed closely or surpassed slightly by Lee Brock, who's... <laughs> You had to say that. <laughs> well, I think it's true. And she's also been on your podcast, I believe, as you know. Yeah, I mean, they were, Lee was in one of my um, workshops that I do with La Mama, which was more of a, a directing workshop. She was helping direct, she was teaching directing. Mm-hmm. Particular podcast that I'm doing now, which is Conversations with Artists, um, Seth and Lee are going to be on it together in a couple of weeks. Oh, cool. Nice. That, that's, that, that kind of experience is a little bit different. Um, in some ways, it's like this with a you know an interview, mm-hmm. but I like to make it a conversation amongst artists. Oh yeah, everybody who comes is on view, and they can ask whatever questions they want throughout. It's not like oh you talk and then we ask questions. It's more of a conversation. Okay. Yes, yeah. so I've had some amazing artists come on and uh, been really inspiring. Cool. Well, you will have to let us know how our listeners can listen to that, how they can find where that is. Um, so that getting back to the idea of being present in the moment, that uh, thing that you said, Seth, is like I, I have as a musician myself and um, performer, and I've also coached a lot of performers over the years, that that is really it. You know, a person who's who's practicing in a practice room you know, scales and arpeggios and practicing the piece, you know, you, you, you work as hard as you can to have it all right and all timed properly, et cetera, et cetera. But then when you go out on the stage, you just leave that in the practice room mm-hmm. and you go out and you, you play music, you know, you, you have fun with it. You know, the dancers do the same thing. You know, they might spend hours at the, you know, ballet bar with their pointed toes and doing first position, second position, plies, et cetera. But when you go out to perform, yeah, dance, you know, it's, you just trust your technique and, you, and all that sort of thing. And I think that's in a sense what you're saying with coaching as well, that when you come into a coaching relationship, it's about being in that state of openness and presence and just being with that person and trusting whatever 
techniques and techniques of deep listening or things that you've studied in coaching are there and you're yeah. just you're connected yeah. with the person yeah trust trusting yourself is huge yeah how do you do that how do you do it <laughs> uh, <laughs> gee how do i trust myself um as a as a coach you know as a, in a coaching situation it was i mean do you have a a methodology do you take a few minutes before a coaching session and you know get into self-hypnosis or something on what do you what do you do oh but i know you're you're involved in hypnosis and maybe i'll take a couple of uh, <laughs> lessons from that um for me it's just about clearing my and maybe this is the same thing but clearing my mind of anything else that's going on in my life and How do you do that yeah i mean i just uh try to not let other thinking get in the way of what I'm listening to and, and allowing to myself to be um, really um, a, uh, open to the voice coming through me. Sometimes I don't even know, you know, what I'm going to say and it comes out and sometimes it's useful. <laughs> sometimes it isn't. Um, at least it's, it's something that, um, you know, it's like you were saying with dancers, you know, when you're dancing or a musician, when you're playing, it's sort of at that moment, it's just coming through you as if, you know, you're in that space in that moment and you're not thinking 10 things about, oh, I should be arch my foot more. or I should, you know, um, play a certain way. It's, you know, you kind of get caught up in the environment. You know, it's like um, uh, Billy Elliot, you know, to make a theater reference that nobody will probably know. Um, <laughs> But he's, they say, why do you, what does it feel like when you dance? And he says, it's like electricity. Huh. Lately loses himself and he's just flying. So that's what it's like for you when you're coaching? Yeah, I don't, if I'm not thinking about other things and I could really be open, then um, things come up in my, in my mind to say. Huh. You know, the worst thing, the one thing that I do have to be careful about is not saying too much. I think in coaching, it's really important to do more listening than talking. I'm listening. <laughs> <You do. laughs> not great for a podcast, maybe. <laughs> maybe not. Yeah. Huh. Um, I, I completely agree. And I'm just really kind of, oh God, that's so, this is so rich. Thank you so much. Um, so, for a person who's starting off in coaching, I think part of the problem, certainly the problem I ran into is that, you know, we're, we're, we're wanting to, in a sense, um, prove ourselves. We're wanting to get the client or we're, we're poor. We have no money. We, we need a client. We need somebody to pay us money, you know? So I have just found over the years, thank goodness that um, I've, I've got enough clients and stuff like that, that when I do a, a, a session of, you know, a trial, whatever, uh, free session. Um, I can't think of the word that you used before, but. Um, complimentary. Complimentary. Thank you very much. I, I'm able to just say, I don't care what happens. Let's just, let's just relax here. Let's be in this moment. I, I'm, I'm there to serve. And if it's something that they say, wow, I want more of this then great and if it's something that goes well this is really valuable thank you for your time and you know i'll, I'll call you when i'm ready it's like in other words no right <laughs> okay great you know it's just it's all great it's all just what is yeah you never um, know years later they might call you and say, yeah, yeah. so way. do you how many of the complimentary sessions that you do how many would you say that uh, become clients Hmm. I never did an analysis of it, but I would say it's something around maybe 60%. Okay. I'd pick a number. So somewhere a little bit more than half. Yeah. Yeah. So slightly less than half people say, call you someday. <laughs> well, I think it's time. also, there's, aside from the session, uh, since most of my clients come through personal references, mm -hmm. a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, that aspect of it as well. So they're deciding both on the experience of working with me in that session and also what other people have said. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cause I think it's important for us to recognize that we are at our best, I think both in sales, whatever, when we don't think about 
sales, when it's not about sales, it's not about selling somebody to take our services, but we are there to serve. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like that's quite congruent with, with my come from where I'm coming from with this is that I'm, I am there to serve. And you have a lot of uh, different ways in which you provide service to people. Sure, sure. So I think one of the things that coaches can take from your example and other people's example is not only uh, a one-on-one conversation as a way to provide that service or to help to uh, work with people, but what other modalities can work. So group coaching could be one, doing a podcast could be another. There's lots of different ways to reach people and people get reached at different times in different ways. So coming up with or developing through your own creativity, a way, different ways in which you can share and uh, be available for people um, can be really helpful in this kind of a business. So it's not just I'm reliant on how many clients I have. I might be doing a podcast that uh, reaches hundreds and hundreds of people that gives them an experience of what you do as well. And then you might do, you know, short-term weekends or something. Oh, we're going to do a retreat and we're going to go off to some place and we're going to have this experience for a weekend. So as many different ways in which you can provide the service in different formats, then I think that is certainly one way of um, helping the bottom line as well as providing the service. Mm-hmm. People pay, you know, people pay a certain amount for one-on-one and they may pay less for a group thing or they may pay even less, but you get numbers, right? bigger numbers. Right. Yeah. Have you done those retreats? Have you gone off with people and done retreats? Uh, I have, I have done what I call intensives. That's usually just one person. So it's one person working for many hours together um, instead of like an hour thing. And it's usually in person. Wow. So it would be, um, several hours in a day and maybe, you know, six hours or three hours in a break and three hours or something like that. Um, and then in that way, you can get really deep into something pretty quickly. I've been on retreats. I've been on coaching retreats, but I haven't actually led one yet. And when you, when you do an intensive like that, is it still just sort of being open and whatever comes up or do you have more of a structure in mind for those well, as, as we all do, I guess I ask a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the asking of the questions, people over time become more, um, well, it just goes deeper. I mean, it, it's not just the facile answer. Like, why do you want to be an actor? And, and it's like, uh, maybe it's because uh, I want to win an award or I want to be famous or I want people to love me or whatever. And then when you continue the iterative process of asking questions, you, you learn a lot more about why people really want what they say they want. And it's sometimes very different than the first, you know, very different than the first answer. So when you're in that deep kind of a conversation for several hours, um, you can really dig into that. Hmm. Wow. That sounds so cool. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. Thank you. It's, it is the kind of thing where um, we as coaches have a variety of different ways of serving and offering our services, whether it's in uh, workshops or individual sessions or intensives like that. That's a, I've, I don't know anybody who's done those intensives. That sounds really interesting. Um, haven't done any retreats in a, in a while. <laughs> I've never done a coaching retreat with either a coach or as a coach. That sounds really interesting. You have such a beautiful place upstate to do them in. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, when, where did you receive your coaching training? Did you uh, go to a, a coaching in federation or something? Did you? I was never an, an ICF person, <clears throat> but uh, I went to Coach U, Coach oh, cool. University. That was where my initial training was from. Excellent. But then after a number of years, I don't know how I happened on it, but I happened on um, Super Coach Academy, uh-huh. which is very different. And it, it sort of shifts how I coach and the way I work. Oh. It's they're called transformational coaching or the coaching from the inside out, if you've heard of that. It's uh-huh. really more about understanding uh, where our experience of life comes from. And it's much less about um, trying to help help 
trying to, you know, if we go in, I'm going to help you. It's a different experience than if you go in and um, think about um, what is it that for this person uh, could give them a better experience of their life and pointing them in a direction of things to look at and to notice. Hmm. Noticing things that you haven't noticed before it's like that quote, um, you take a long journey in your life and you end up where you started, but you see it completely differently. Hmm. See it hmm. eyes. And I think that's what our, our job really is, because it's to help people just see with new eyes and have a, you know, have a different perspective. Hmm, that's beautiful. When, when you did coach you, was Thomas Leonard still around? Um, no, I think it was just after. Yeah, that he was there. Yeah. But uh, I think uh, it was a really good foundation. And yeah, uh, yeah I learned a lot. And um, yeah, I appreciated having that. But I don't have any certifications by anybody or anything, you know, and nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing thing about that. Yeah, I think it's really important to have training. But just like we were talking about dancers or musicians, you know, it's like, once you've got that training, then it's really about being that human connection and and listening and helping them to see things in different ways and and listen to things you know i'm reminded of a story i think it was um i think it was marcel marceau but it might have been claude kipnis one of those two great mimes from back in the 70s or 80s i think it was marcel marceau who was um traveling all the time performing all around the world and he came back home one day and, and, and just fell into a, a conversation with his gardener. And uh, he came away from that conversation just absolutely amazed that this man who basically spent all of his time every day in the garden has never traveled outside of, you know, his hometown kind of thing, um, knew just as much about life as, as he did, who had traveled the world and, you know, met with kings and queens, et cetera, et cetera. But it's it's a it's about the presence and the learning from what's there. There is a book, um, if I can find it quickly, but the I think it's either called like the Enchanted Gardener or the Enlightened Gardener, and it's mm-hmm. really about experience. <laughs> Maybe it's the same gardener, or a different gardener. <laughs> Maybe wrote a book, yeah. <laughs> but these three people who are at a psychology conference, they're like psychotherapists, uh, meet this gardener who you know, has insights about, you know, our life experience that he shares and it completely shifts these, these people who have that engagement with him. From his observations and experiences within a garden. Or just uh, of people in general, you know, he's, I wish I could find it. It's a really good book. It's very like short book. Um, But the guy who invented or started this movement of uh, transformational coaching, um, wrote this book and uh, it started off on started him off on many other activities related to it. Nice. The writer. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. I will look for that. Um, Gosh, David, this has been just a delightful conversation. I could talk to you for hours, Um, but I I do want to talk to you a little bit longer before I let you go. I know I want to be respectful of your time and not take too much of it, but uh, um, tell us a little bit about some of your, you know, if you had a gardener story, if you had a, a story that you would you would tell about um, some transformations that you've seen through coaching with with clients you've had, whether they're directors or actors or whatever, that have gone beyond just them becoming a better actor, mm-hmm. um, maybe got them there as well, but you know, also helped them see a, a different life in a, a different way. Do you have any stories like that? They're mostly. Um... I rarely talk to actors about, you know, how to become a better actor. It's what I do is how do you live your life as an artist in the world? Mm. How do, how does being an artist impact everything you do? Not just when you're on stage or not just when you're in rehearsal, but how can you use the talents that you have already? And for artists in what I do, the kind of talents they really have are the ability to be vulnerable and be vulnerable in a way that allows them to 
be sensitive to things, have nuance and under, you know, and, and see and feel things differently. Because you're an actor, you really have to have access to those emotional um, nuances in order to, to be really good. So how can you use your ability to, uh, that sensory ability to really understand in other things that you do in your life? And how can you use your creativity? That's another huge thing for artists, obviously, is that their creativity is a um, main aspect of what they do. So I talk to people about how can you be as creative in the way you pursue the work as you are once you're in the rehearsal room? And it's getting them out of the way of a lot of ideas about how things are supposed to work. Mm -hmm. So we talk a lot about... Um, do you ever do this exercise in limited beliefs, a limited beliefs exercise, which is one that I really like. So you have them write down a list on the, like you divide a paper in two halves on the left side, they're writing down a list of the things that they believe are the limits to their succeeding in business. So for example, a woman will write uh, women over 40 can't get acting work anymore. Um, the structures of, um, Theaters in America are all white male dominant. So uh, people of color don't get opportunities. And those are, so there's like tons of them. There's all kinds of beliefs people had. You can't make a living as an artist, all these things. Yeah. So on the left-hand side, you write those. And then on the opposite side of the page, you write the exact opposite of those things. So women over 40 have many opportunities <laughs> to get work in this business. And then the question you ask is, if you believed the second column instead of the first column, what actions would you take that are different? Mm. So they're using their creativity to think about if life, if they believed life was different, what would they do differently? Because we can't do things that we don't believe. Like if we don't believe it's going to work, why would we even bother? Yeah, sure. But if we question what we're believing and start to, you know, take it all apart and see what, what's really going on, then lots of creativity and ideas come up. And sometimes they're terrible and sometimes they won't work at all. But other times people are like, oh, I didn't think that I could do it that way. Like, I didn't think I could call this director, artistic director up and have a conversation with them because that's not the way it's supposed to work or that's not the way it works. Mm -hmm. and guess what? <laughs> no, there's no rules about that. We make it up. We make up a lot of these rules and then we live according to them, even though they may not be real. So, I mean, that's a more general. I'm trying to think about specific people. Lately, I've been working with, and this has been interesting, working with artistic directors of theaters who are finishing, like they're, they're leaving their theaters. They're, they're like, I've been doing this for a while. I want to do something else. And they're thinking about what, that transition will be like and where they want to go after. Because when you've been an artistic director of a theater, you've had a lot of responsibility. You've had a lot of um, opportunities to do the kind of work that you want to do. But a lot of people, you know, have had it after a while and uh, they're looking to do other things. So investigating what's really important to them mm. to do in their lives and how they can manifest those important things either through other existing occupations or job opportunities or by creating something of their own and being a creative artist people have a lot more um, sense of their own ability to create something to make something so you know how many um, directors have created their own theater company that was like everybody coming out, out of university wants to make their own theater company and for a while you know that might be really effective I remember when Seth and Lee started <laughs> and we were sitting in these rooms and they were thinking about why is it the best acting I see is in these classes. And then when I go see a, a live performance, it's, it's never as good. And so they developed this idea. Is there a way to create a company that allows for that, you know, great kind of acting the way they saw it in, in class. And so they created it, they made it. That's what we're going to do. And that's what a lot of artists do. I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. So let me ask you this. Do, do you find that this sort of um, way of thinking then 
also transforms the person when it comes to their relationships? It can't help but infect or affect every part of their lives because um, they're seeing things differently. What's more interesting to me than an artist or a person um, getting what they say they want is them having a better experience of life mm-hmm. in a general sense. Nice. Like, why is it that, you know, some people can have a great experience of life more of the time? And what is it that's in our way of having that experience? And usually it's, we think what, what a lot of people think, I'm going to say what everybody thinks, but we think that the circumstances of our life are responsible for whether it, we have a good or bad experience of it. <laughs> and the way inside out coaching it works is that circumstances don't matter at all. And it always the ability to have a good experience of life comes from inside you always. So, you know, and it's, it's clear when, um, the same thing happens to you twice and you have react completely differently or you have a completely different experience of what happens. So I'm walking down the street in New York, you know, somebody, you know, bumps me as I'm crossing the street and I just get really just angry, furious at them. Another time walking across the street, the same thing happens and I don't notice it at all. It's like, it doesn't affect because the same circumstance hits you in different ways at different times, depending on where you're at, you know, so it's not so much about the circumstance, but it's how you relate to the circumstance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yep. that's like, I coach around that a lot. Cool. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's really true. I've, I've taught very similar things in, you know, my approach to hypnosis and NLP is that we create our own emotions. And so in fact, uh, I think I'm, I intended to do, I'm not sure this came across or not, but I intended to do a, do a podcast a week or so ago, I'll have to go back and see if this came out when I actually started talking about um, making a New Year's resolution instead of like, what am I going to do this year? What am I going to accomplish? But more like, how am I going to feel? How am I going to respond? How am I going to be in this world? You know, what kind of responses will I have? You know, I'm making a resolution to, you know, be calm throughout, you know, chaos. So I have a a resolution to feel good in spite of having no good reason to feel good. I'm just going to choose to. And um, that's an interesting resolution to have, you know. Yeah, if you can, um, it's sometimes it's hard to choose how we're going to feel. Yeah, of course. Um, (laughs) So I think about it like the feelings we have are based on our thinking. So we think and then we feel according to where our thinking is at at that particular moment so if you think of thinking as a as an idea as energy as just as everything in the world and is made of energy right equal energy squared physical things are energy everything is energy and thoughts are energy and they flow through you you know, they say, what is it, 50,000 thoughts a day or something like that, that we, that flow through our minds, but we land on certain ones and make them more important. Mm-hmm. And when you come to a sort of realization that it's just the same kind of energy going through you and your decision to make it important is, is what you do. It's not like the thoughts don't have any power to right. uh, do anything until you give them that you know, and you make them more powerful. So if you can understand where your thinking's coming from, then you understand where your feeling's coming from. Mm -hmm. And then you can put it in a perspective. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I meant. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting. NLP and and hypnosis are, um, seem to be other ways of opening that channel between um, what's possible and what, you know, our connection to something deeper. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would totally agree with that. Yeah, I found it very, very useful over the years as, you know, I started off as an artist, as a musician, and I came to New York City to pursue a career in music. Um, and I sort of segued from there into NLP and segued from NLP into hypnosis. And I've been doing that ever since, but I'm still you know, a piano player. I still have a piano in the living room and I still play and 
practice and try to get better. Um, so yeah, it's been a really valuable way of, of approaching life is neurolinguistic programming. NLP is just a, just a kind of mindset, if you will, with a lot of techniques that have come from it, but it's a, it's an approach. And, and I think getting back to one of our first parts of the conversation was, you know, that deep listening to being present, to being open and have that sense of curiosity. You know, the listening comes from asking questions and being curious about, you know, how do you do that? And what's, what's going on with that? Tell me more about that. You know, that's, it's a sense of fascination with this other human being that's there in front of you. you know? Yeah. Wow. I always think uh, one of my, coaching teacher said you have to love your client yeah yeah and it changes the conversation well i think that is a good place to leave this conversation so david diamond where do people find you what's your uh uh the best way to find me at my my website is davidjdiamond.com so davidjdiamond.com just all one all together um, my email address is a little more complicated, <laughs> but it's d d j d s t a r at gmail.com. So djd are my initials, and then there's an extra d at the front of that because I think somebody already had that email address. <laughs> <laughs> so two d's j d and then star the word star yeah. at gmail. So that's where people can find me and uh. I'm happy to have conversations with anybody who wants. And I really appreciate your inviting me here today. Oh, my God. It's such a pleasure to have you. Great to see you. Give my best to Frank. Take care. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for joining me. If you want any more information about today's show, please visit our website at www.essentialcoachingskills.com. Be sure to tune in again next week for our next episode and discover even more about the systems and the secrets that set the best apart.